Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. Welcome back to Broadway Drumming 101. My name is Clayton Craddock, and my guest today is Joe Horseski. This is part two of my conversation with Joe, and we'll continue the conversation right now. When looking for opportunities, because I'm sure you've had people reach out to you when you've had your own show. Yes. And uh, there are people that uh, ask you to come in to watch or ask you for opportunities for for them to sub for you. What are some things that people should do and what are some things that people shouldn't do when contacting someone who has a chair on Broadway? Um, yeah, the- I have, I have opinions on this and I, and I, I try to keep very a positive outlook on, on this. Cause I realize not everybody knows. And so I, I don't want to say things that would, that would like make anyone feel bad or self-conscious about like how they may have accidentally approached someone or, or, or approached someone when, when they knew less about how, how to do things. But the, there's just a, there's a certain protocol um, that I think is appreciated and I, expected maybe by some, by, by those who are familiar, like, yeah, I guess there's a certain protocol, let's call it, in which that you can approach somebody in a respectful, humble, humble way. Like, um, obviously arrogance is off-putting. I just, I think to have, the thing to have is an understanding of your place in that, especially someone who doesn't know you has no obligation they don't owe you anything. So, you know, start with the baseline of, of that, that they don't know you. So approach someone in that way, which in a more humble way with, with no assumption that because you're contacting them and because you think you're good, that they'll of course have an opportunity for you. You have to um, have the understanding, especially if a show is already on the feet for any amount of time. There's a good chance that all the places that are, available for some of the sub are, are filled at the moment. And it, there's it's very unlikely that at that moment in time, when you got in touch with them, that there's an opportunity for you and, and that they would even consider you as opposed to someone they already know about, someone they're friends with, someone that the musical director recommends. So I think, I think having a place of understanding of what your potential place in this equation is, is key. So if, if you approach someone kindly, respectfully and with zero expectations that is a very good professional way to go about it you know it is it's of course you you can certainly say i i'm interested in subbing i'm looking for some sub work um you can be upfront about that you, you don't have to be um i i would always find it strange if, if someone would come to watch me uh, when i had my show and um like would, would try to like sneak it in there that like oh, oh you know like you don't have to do that. I think, I think it's pretty, unless someone states otherwise, like unless someone's like watching for different reasons, like, Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm a percussionist. I just want to see how a drummer, like that's, I've had a few watchers like that where it wasn't somebody who was seeking to sub premiere or that kind of opportunity. It was just someone who wanted to see how, how this particular show is done. Sure. I, I, I've had those watchers. Like, yeah, some, someone who, like, who might be a percussionist and want to see, oh yeah, how, how does a drummer play the show? That was cool. That, that was more of like a, a shared educational experience. So not, not everybody watches for the same reason, but 
otherwise, you can pre- probably safely assume if someone's like new or or in the scene or, or a younger person that they're they're probably looking for sudden opportunities. You don't have to kind of like be sneaky about that. That 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 feels kind of disingenuous in a, in a way. So it's okay to state that you're looking for sub work and then have the understanding that good chance it's not it's not available for you right now. But the best thing you can do if if the if the regular if the person you contact is open to it is is meet them and have have that experience. Watch them play that show in person, and then then that person knows who you are. You've had a face to face conversation. You have face to face recognition from each other. It's not it's not just a name on an email anymore. It's a it's a it's a shared personal experience that's uh does that answer that oh yeah so you started subbing at different places how'd you get into the lion king lion king was something i has i I guess i was seeking out for many years because i am close with tommy ago i knew him since i was a teenager and i had been studying with him privately um i started studying with tommy actually when i was in college when i would come home on holiday breaks He he lived in new jersey at the time so I, I would have my North Texas thing. And then when I'd come home for holiday breaks, I would, I would go to Tommy for private lessons. And it was a completely different experience and amazing. I, 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 will, I will tell anybody, he is one of the greatest drum educators, one of the greatest teachers that's ever, ever walked the instrument. He's, he's an amazing teacher. So I, I've known him since I was a teen. <clears throat> and it was just, and I, and I always knew, I, like, I, I always thought that would be cool. I would love to sub the Lion King with Tommy. I, I watched him play it in the pit when I was 18. I, I, I came back from college one summer and I watched him and that was fascinating to watch him do his thing and lead the way he does. And uh, it was just a matter of time of when I, I guess when, when he felt I was ready and when, when there was a, an opportunity of a, an actual, like, like a, a sub vacancy where I could get in there. And, and when the time came, he actually did push me to come in pretty quickly. I, I had had the materials for a while, but um, there was no, he didn't really need anybody. Like, you know, he let me have a copy of the book and I, had, I made a recording, but and I, I guess I loosely worked on it, but I knew there wasn't an immediate opportunity. So then when early in 2010, when, um, when that opportunity presented itself and there was a sub vacancy, that's when he, he, he had me like, really get together in about three weeks. And, and actually, interestingly, that was also already in the context of uh, playing Avenue Q. So that was, that was the first, Broadway show I subbed while playing Avenue. We, we can get into that. That, that. That's actually that's a business model that I learned from you. Actually, the sub out of your off Broadway show to play a Broadway show. Yeah, well, <laughs> talk about how you got Avenue Q. Well, did, did you want me to say any more about Lion King and Tommy, yeah. or just we'll, that, we'll, that get, yeah, we'll get back to that? But yeah, okay. So tell me. So after subbing around in the, the mid two thousands, yeah, and later, yeah, the road to Avenue Q. It, it was. Uh, went like this. I, I had been in touch. Michael Kreuter is a, an amazingly kind person and a excellent, excellent musician, not just a drummer percussion. He's a, he's a multi-instrumentalist and he's a, he's a producer. He's really such a, he's that excellent combination of a kind, warm personality and talent across the board. So that's, that's my, the nicest I can say about Mike, Mike Kreuter, and he was the drummer, the original drummer of Avenue Q and Broadway. And I, and, and he's another person I had been in touch with for a while. He knew I was interested, um, and we would keep up about it. But um, I guess it was the same thing where there just there wasn't a sub vacancy for a little while. But he he he, he knew I was right there, and, and he was receptive to um, keeping me in that information chain. And then in 2007, 
there fi- finally was that opportunity. So I, that over the, in the summer of 2007, I, I, I put in a lot of time and I got that book together and went and subbed Avenue Q on Broadway in, in uh, the summer of 07. And I, and because of my availability, I, like I admittedly wasn't doing all that much else at the time I was very available. And he was, he was at a busy point in his career where he had a lot of dates. He had, he had to be out for a lot of things. So for the last two years of the run on Broadway, I was in there a lot. I was saying yes to every call. So being available is, is a great key thing for, for a, a regular to have, have a couple subs who they know they can. And not just somebody, and it's, it's one thing when it's like the person who's available is not necessarily the person everybody wants in. That's kind of a sticky situation. Like, well, this person's always available to have, do we really want them in? I was fortunate that I was doing well there. I was well-liked and I was available. So I, I was in there playing Avenue Q constantly the, la- the last two years of the run, 07 to 09. And that, and that was very, uh, you want to talk about positive experiences that, that you could have subbing on Broadway. Anybody who had the experience to sub Avenue Q on Broadway at the Golden Theater was treated to a rare, fun, positive experience. It was just, it, it was the atmosphere of the room. It, it was, that, that's all I can say. And that, and that started from the top. That was Gary Adler, the great Gary Adler, the music director. That was, that was the, the mood. He, he set that. So anyway, I was a very successful sub there. And then September of 09 is when Avenue Q closed on Broadway. And I was, I was away for a couple of weeks. I was, I was covering a few weeks of the Monty Python Spamalot national tour out West. They, it was, they were like between drummers and percussion. So they asked me to do a couple of weeks. So I, I was in, where was I? I was, I guess I was in San Diego. I was in San Diego, California that night. Avenue, back in New York, Avenue Q closed, and there was a surprise announcement that, that the producers made a surprise announcement on stage that instead of closing, that Avenue Q would live on as a smaller production in an off-Broadway theater. It was the, it was the first move of its kind. It, like instead of killing a Broadway show, put it into an off-Broadway theater to run on a smaller budget and see how. And it was like oh, basically an experiment. I think, but no one knew how that would work. So I immediately sought that opportunity, and. I, I, I was like, I, I need to do this. So I, I was in touch with all the powers that be and a, a few, because for first, I assume Mike, Mike, he might want to do it. Wasn't sure. He wasn't sure. He, he, he kind of chewed it over for a week or two. And then he ultimately decided he was too busy, had too much going on, did not want to do the off-Broadway version, which, which you know, for the regulars, that, that would mean doing your same gig for less pay. Off-Broadway is a, as you know, is a, is a smaller pay scale than Broadway. Um, but for someone who has nothing going on, a regular show is a regular show. Um, it was a great opportunity. So a few weeks later, while I was still out, out West playing spam a lot, I got the call to uh, take Avenue Q at new world stages off Broadway. And that started immediately. There was, there was no lag time. It was like, there was like, Oh, we're going to do this next year. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, this is happening right now in three weeks in October of 09. This is going. So I, I, I was thrown right into that. So that's, that's how the Avenue Q off-Broadway gig came about. It was a result of subbing for a few years and being well-liked by the powers that be. The set that you had there was your drum set. I was told to provide everything. They, they decided to not do a, uh, a rental or have a, have a show by the kit. It was a bring-your-own-stuff situation. Mm. So I, yeah, I, I, went, I quickly, I, I had to quickly purchase a lot of gear that was show-specific. Was that a brand new drum set back then? 
No, that, that kit was actually, um, and I, I did a quick and exhaustive search for drums. That I, I was I was specifically looking for a kit that had a 20-inch bass drum. I, I liked playing that show with a 20. And I, I had a few kits at the time, but none of them was a kit with a 20 that I wanted to leave parked in a theater for who knew, who knew how long. So I was looking for a kit that I could. Um, and it, 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 was, it just so happened there was a kit at a guitar center, you pre-owned, in, in, uh, it's not there anymore, in, in Larchmont, New York, in Westchester, and there was a Yamaha Oak Custom kit that had a 20, no snare, 20, 10, 12, and a 16, a bigger floor tom. And then I looked online, I found a couple mat, uh, matching floor toms that were smaller. A, a drum store happened to have a 15 that matched that finish, so I, I bought that 15 separately. So I assembled that kit by getting the used kit from Guitar Center that had a 20, 10, 12, and, I, and I bought the 15, which was a size I always loved from a random music store somewhere online that happened to have a oh, custom 15-ish floor tom. So that's the, that's the genealogy of that kit. Well, getting that kit in that area where you performed for so many years, how in the world did, did you have to bring it up there or did they have uh, people put it up there for you? Because it's oh. it, the drum set is in a... Very and the, and the the pit is in yeah. a really interesting location. It, it, yeah, it, it was yeah, it, it, it was a makeshift room. It was a loft above the stage that was a that was converted converted into a room that wasn't really a room. Um, no, everything came in and eventually out the New World Stages office. The door you'd walk through in the back. Really? So I I I, I, I really yeah because it was on it was on that same floor. So you, I just wheeled it in through the office. Open that door, and that's how I lived in it. Nothing ever came up and down the stairs. Oh, okay. Now, yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah, that was that would have been insane. So, people would have been injured. Drums would have been damaged. <laughs> would have so, you, so you got your first gig, and you got mm-hmm. steady money. And uh, did you feel that you got to where you wanted to be professionally? I mean, it's, oh, it's, yeah. I I was ecstatic to have that gig. That 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 gig was an absolute blessing because. Um, honestly, things things weren't going well up, up at that point in time. This was this was right in the the middle of the economic crash of two thousand eight. Um, yeah, th- things things were things were bleak for a while. In, in 08, 09, there was um, su- subbing opportunities suddenly got scarce. I mean, I was, I was still playing Avenue Q on Broadway. That was that was great to have that subbing, but not much else was coming up, and it, it was it was getting a little dicey around the summer of 09. It was almost at the point where like, oh, man, I might have to fill, fill things in with some alternative employment to kind of stay afloat. So that was, yeah, admittedly things were, were a little bleak right then. So that, that gig was just, it couldn't have been timed any better. And, and the fact that it was successful was unexpected, but also a blessing. So that was, yeah, I was ecstatic. It, it was just the best thing that could have possibly happened. From that gig, did you get any kind of endorsement opportunities? Um, not from that gig specifically. And I, and, and I, I, as far as endorsements, I still haven't even gotten to where I'd want to be in terms of, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm admittedly not great at selling myself for, for, for opportunities or, or pr- pr- promoting myself for that kind of thing. Um, I had a, a very fortunate meeting and hookup. I've always loved Sabian symbols since I was in high school. And that opportunity finally came about many years into the run of that show. Actually, I, I'd say the catalyst for making that happen was actually when I temporarily left Avenue Q for a leave of absence, which you're very familiar with. 
um, when I went to go take over Finding Neverland on Broadway, um, it was around that same time that my, my deal with Sabian was cemented. But that, that, that came from a, a fortunate meeting um, actually through, through Sean McDaniel, who just a few months before me, all, he switched to Sabian and, and I get to meet Andy Zildjian through him. But as far as drums, sticks, heads and anything else, I, I've, I've got none of that. So um, I, I did talk to Yamaha uh, briefly, a connection to that, that never went anywhere. So uh, yeah, no, no, no real endorsements came as a result of that show aside from Xavier, which, but there was a few factors. Avenue Q, you had a steady gig and you started subbing around a lot more or were you, you always subbing around a lot at, you know, from the late two thousands? Well, I, I, at that point in time, when Avenue Q Broadway closed and my new world stages get opened up that fall, I actually wasn't currently subbing anywhere. There, there weren't, I, I wasn't currently on any Broadway books. The only show, I think after Avenue Q closed, the only thing I was really subbing at the time was, um, was Alter Boys and, and, and Mo was doing it at that point. He, he would left already. So I just, I just, I had, I had to politely bail on Mo in the, for the rest of that run. And then, um, so from there, so for the first few months of Avenue Q, I wasn't subbing out that much. I, I, I was uh, in most of the time. So it was, necessary I, I i it was necessary income for a while but a few months in winter of 2010 that's when i sort of started that machine thanks to tommy in that that invitation to finally get in and then the lion came that's when i began this thing that I, I i like to think i i mastered down to a science the art of subbing broadway shows while you have an off-broadway gig which was specifically learned and inspired by you really oh yeah 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 because because you, you had altered boys in your world and, and, and you, you brought me into that very grateful. And you would often, a lot of my calls to cover altered boys for you would be, I, I'm not sure what all Broadway shows you were playing, but I know you were playing rent for Jeff Potter round 08. And, um, yes. So, yeah. so you, you would go, you would leave altered boys for the night to go play rent and I would play altered boys for you. It was a really, and I, and I learned, I was like, okay, cool. This is what you do. You, you it, it, it is, it's it's actually okay to do, which if you can believe that. I know this is this might to people who aren't from this scene, this might sound like shocking porn where you can sub out of your own gig to go sub somebody else's gig on certain terms. And the most common way that is is kind of um financially speaking, trading up for the night because a Broadway scale is just so much more income than an off-Broadway show. So it, it, it's lucrative, it makes financial sense, even even to sub out of your own gig to go sub on Broadway for somebody and have one, it, it gets your subs in and get, um, and lets your subs play your off Broadway show. And, um, I, I, I really maximized that technique of the scheduling. So, and I, I started seeking out more, more and more Broadway subbing opportunities came about while during the run of Avenue Q. How did, some you, new, some new how did you prepare your first sub to, to sub for your show, knowing what you had to do for others? Oh, very thoroughly. Um, and, and Avenue Q was an interesting, situ- a very unique situation in that it came preloaded with subs. The Broadway run had just closed and, and I, I had no reason to exclude anybody. I certainly wouldn't do that. Um, so I, I inherited everybody else who was a sub from my crater on, on Broadway and um, I was happy to use everybody. And uh, so that was, that was cool. There was a, it was a little bit of a adjustment here where like I, 
as naturally happens, I play the show a little differently than the mic, especially as time goes by. So some people may have been playing it as they learned it, the Mike Courier version, and uh, so, whereas people who I brought in as, as, as needed, you being one of them, learned my version. It's still the same show, but in terms of like, you know what I mean, like the nuances that a, a specific drummer brings to a, a part. So, so you- I didn't need to bring it. It became necessary to bring in an additional sub by that spring due, due to my, my Broadway commitments. Spring of 2010. You went on an odyssey of having a show and then started subbing around town on many different uh, Broadway shows. Uh, when I was speaking to Sean McDaniel, I told him he gets the uh, a, a special award for having the, subbing on the most shows at one time at a oh, he, oh, that was <laughs> yeah. I, I, he was telling me all about it back then. I, I was out on a cruise ship, and and, he, and I would I would talk to him on the phone when I would get get into a, a place where I could actually use a cell phone, like somewhere on there, and. Uh, yeah, in, in 2003, he was talking about, like, he was, it was insane. And it, not just multiple, he was even playing multiple books on certain shows. He was covering a couple, couple percussion books. Yeah, he, he was, that, that's, that is freak of nature territory, yeah. Well, you've done a lot, too. What's the most, that, most amount of shows that you subbed at one time? My, my, my max density that, that I've reached, I call it, like, my, my show, show subbing density was actually fairly recently. It was about, uh, probably in, it's supposed to be in 2019, 20, early 2020. I, I was, yeah, between 2019 and early 2020 pre-pandemic, I had I had gotten to the point of setting six shows. I'm oh my god, that. really? That's a yeah, that's a lot. Man, okay, time. second place award goes to Joe Horshaw. I, I, I tried <laughs> <laughs> the best I could do to even get close to. It's not an award here, but anyway, <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's, a, that's a great award. Yeah, <laughs> six man, wow. Well, you are. Uh, people had you there because you're very good and you're very versatile and you know how to do the subbing thing right. And you know how to play shows and it's important to, to know, I mean, subbing is a very specific skill, just like playing a show, but it's, it's such a intense thing for a drummer because the drummer is often the heartbeat of the band and it's it's a lot there are a lot of times where you're exposed and you can't really make any mistakes and it's it's a pressure-filled environment so uh you know what advice would you give i don't know if i asked you this already what advice would you give to someone uh, about subbing like what should someone know well here's the question what should someone who's subbing a show what's something that they should always do in a broadway pit um Let's see. I, I, actually, I made a few notes to myself. I'm trying to. Um, it's tough to say because because um, having been in so many different subbing situations, I there's almost it's almost hard to identify there as there being any one through line. that's like this is the always thing. Aside from the basic things that have probably been said by lots of people, are almost kind of cliche. And the one thing is it's it's like a, it's like a, it's a balance of always be be humble, under, understand your place in that picture. You know, you're, you're there to cover somebody else's gig. It is not your gig. It's, you know, so be humble about your place there. You don't have to be like, you don't have to take that too far and, and like 
you know, there, there's, there's a balance with that too, that, that I always get into in terms of like taking input from people who aren't in charge of giving you input. That's that, especially for younger players, that that's a, that's an interesting balance to walk, but to understand your place that you are there to serve this purpose and to represent this exact part that the regular plays that you're, whoever you're sitting for. Um, but all, I don't want to say contradictory to that, always play confidently. You, you, so it's, it's a matter of like humbly understanding your place, but bringing what you do musically with all your confidence. So I've, that's a balance I've learned to walk where you're not there to show anybody up. You're not there to be bigger than you're supposed to be, but you also need to play at your level where you understand what I'm saying? Where, where sometimes people can play in a way that almost seems constantly hesitant and constantly timid. That's not going to work. You have to play, play like you belong, play like you know it, if you know it and you should know it. So, so play like, you know, it, play with confidence, but humbly understand your place in that bigger machine. That is the Broadway show, the Broadway orchestra. The reason why you played six shows at one time, which I'm going to ask you, you know, the reason why you play those shows is because you know what you're doing, you know how to approach it, you know how to play confidently as well as as humbly, and you know what your job is. So those jobs were what you just, you had six shows at one time. Which oh, were they? Oh, the, the the most recent, the, the cluster of six. That, that yes, yeah, that the was, cluster <coughs> of six. What were the cluster of six? I like that. And, and this is this is what led up right up. Right up to the pandemic, and unfortunately, uh, two of these won't be returning, which is a, a heartbreaker. But um, uh-huh. so the two the, the two shows that aren't returning that I was on was uh, Frozen, Disney's Frozen, and Beetlejuice. So those the other four, which are still alive, Wicked, The Book of Mormon, Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, and Moulin Rouge. Twenty ten, you have your show; it's running well. You're subbing around town. Uh, oh, that. Uh, a quick thing about that year, that year turned really interesting um, <clears throat> in an unexpected way because the next show I subbed after The Lion King um, that spring was Promises, Promises for, for Perry and Kaveri. And that turned into a very unexpected situation that Perry fell ill that, that summer. Um, he, he had his, his serious health issue for a while. I ended up playing that entire summer at that show. Oh, wow. So I, I was... Avenue Q was less than a year into the run New World, and I was having to sub out entire weeks to to cover Promises, Promises, and um, that was very interesting. And then Perry got got a bit better that fall, and he was well enough to take. He left Promises, Promises to do the first production of Elf, the musical, for the, for the Christmas season. So when Perry left to do Elf, I was hired to to, uh, to finish Promises, Promises. So the Promises, Promises, and Broadway was officially my chair, well, as a replacement or technically the absence, but it was the closing October to New Year's of that year. So, so that was I, a, I, I ended up missing a lot of Avenue Q for the rest of 2010. So that was the first time you actually took, took somebody's kind of a leave of absence. Oh, yeah, lengthy. lengthy yeah, like I, I, I played the majority of that run of that show. Oh, wow, that's great. Uh, shortly after that, you did some stuff with Clay Aiken. Yes, well, that... <clears throat> that that is a direct result of um my my dear friends Sean McDaniel and Ben Cohn. They are they've been the Clay's music team for years and years. Uh, Sean has toured with Clay on on multiple tours, and um, in the 
Clay hadn't toured for a while, um, but I, I guess in 2012, his, uh, his star was on the rise again for a minute because he had done the, the Celebrity Apprentice with Emily, that whole thing. So he did a tour again, um, and he uh, it, was, it was his Christmas tour. And at, at that point in time, Sean was unavailable to do that tour. So they called on a trusted friend who could also play pop music. Um, I was very, very grateful for that. And that was basically a, a little more than a month. Um, just just a, a Christmas music tour, the, the Joyful Noise Tour 2012. Hmm. Yeah. You also work fun. with Mario Cantone, too. Yes. That, that, yeah, that, that came about as uh, my, my good friend, uh, Matt Perry, who's an amazing piano player and probably the one of the just jolliest personalities you'll ever meet, but just like an ideal personality to be around in the musical setting. He, uh, he brought me into that for uh, some, some one-off gigs. Mario never toured, but it was when he would do like a comedy show in the theater, yeah, he has a musical set as part of his, at least these that he did show. So tell me about this hearts and lights thing, the radio. City <laughs> oh, musical I'd, be ha- I'd be happy to Yeah, heart and lights at radio city. Um, that was a big experience. That 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 was a um, that was a many years of, of, of time and dedication, um, and and never to be seen, which we'll get to. Um, get Gary Adler from Avenue Q, one of my uh, great close friends and one of my, my best musical connections that I've ever made. He's just a, I I always I'm always thankful to him for calling on me for certain things. He started calling on me around 2010 actually to start workshopping some ideas. With, with the Radio City Rockets, just in, informal sessions with the choreographer, and, and like not 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 the not the full group of, of, of women, just like just like a couple. There's, there's like there's a couple there's a couple Rockets who are sort of like in with the creators and they, and they help create material. Um, and they've always been slowly for years. They're they're trying these ideas to develop a spring show, not Christmas, like a, a spring season show. They, I, I had heard they, they've done. There's been an Easter show in the past. So it has a history, but like in this in that decade, they thought about reviving the idea of a, of a springtime show featuring the Rockettes. So <clears throat> it started to come to fruition very slowly. Lots of workshops. They're building basically just making a brand new show, original material with the story, and um, Gary kept me involved. In this and the, the choreographer liked working with me, Linda Haberman. She was a really excellent professional at what she does. And um, it was just a lot of developmental work sessions of, of developing this show for Radio City with the Rockettes and there'd be workshops and we did it for you. It kept getting tweaked. And uh, I think their versions of it kept getting rejected by the higher ups. Like, oh, you know, it needs to be this. So that would be more workshop sessions. I guess it was maybe, maybe it was ill-fated in that way and that it kept getting rejected and tweaked. But, uh, and then, we got to the point in 2013, we, we were actually, we did a full presentation of it in the hall, like, like for, for the corporate types and um, like playing. Yeah. Like it was staged only with piano and those D drums as Radio City does. Um, D drums and piano, but like fully staged with like all the Rockettes and some featured performers and some featured singers and some featured dancers and more Rockettes. Whole big thing, giant budget. And then finally it got greenlighted. So in 2014, it was supposed it was supposed to um, it was supposed to launch um, Mar- late March of that year, and it was a whole side workshop. And a couple other drummers had been involved also as, as rehearsal drummers, and also had been developing it. Um, they had an audition for the chair, even, even though I developed most of it. I, I still had to audition for my my place to be in that orchestra, and I, I was selected to, to 
play that uh, production. So that was all very exciting. It was all happening. We were in the hall. We we're having tech rehearsals. Tons of money was spent. There was like, there was big set pieces and lights. It, it was like the whole thing was in place. The show was, they finally settled on title. It was called Heart and Lights. Um, it was a, it was a show with an original story that was celebrating New York City. It was basically a plot that involved New York City tourism, like, like seeing all there is to see around, around the city, but somehow involving the Rockettes also in every dance number. And it got weird. Um, the, the, uh, the corporate people involved, um, yeah, they, they came to see it and they made a very, very last minute decision to not open the show, to cancel it like days before we were going to go to previews. So it, it was kind of devastating. So, uh, yeah, that was heart and lights. It, 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 the show died. It, it, it came back following year as a different thing. All the creatives were out the door. Like it was, it was, a, it was a, like a corporate sweep, new music team, new choreographer, just like the, the, the corporate hatchet. So I, I was, uh, I was shown the door with uh, that whole team. So did it, 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 eventually wound up being performed at Radio City the next year? Under a different title. Wow. With a new new concept, completely rewritten. I I think they, I think because of the money spent, they used some of the technical elements. They they incorporated some of the devices and some of the, some of the things that they had had employed. I I didn't see the show. I didn't care. So no no offense to anyone involved. I just had a, had a bad taste from uh, what I went through. Uh, I I mean, I, 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 um, I should say though, I'm very grateful for the years of work of, of workshopping that show and rehearsing. That was that was a lot of income. That was that was very helpful to me and my family. That, that, that was that wasn't that wasn't really at the expense of having to do. That was daytime work. So I was, oh, there, was there was a, there was a period of time where I was doing well with that because I was logging a lot of daytime rehearsal hours and then also playing my show. That was a, a very fortunate time. Speaking of working a lot. According to your bio here on Sabian.com, you've worked uh, 14 shows. Oh, as a sub? <laughs> yeah, as a sub. I, yeah, oh, that must be the current total. I've, I've subbed 22 shows on Broadway. Really? In the current total. Yeah. Broadway subbing. Wow. Yeah. Do you have a list of them? I, I do. Actually, I keep it on my phone so I can remember it for like. Yeah, right, let me let me hear. Stuff. Let me hear what you've done. Is this in chronological chronological order? It is. Yes, it, it is. I, um, if, if we're doing this, okay. Here, the chronological list of shows I've subbed, and and I'll just say that one or two of these maybe weren't as successful as the others. I, I, I don't want to brag and say, "Oh, I killed all of these." There's some mm-hmm. up, there's some ups and downs, but I've I've been at least invited back for uh, these twenty two shows. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Martin Short, Fame Becomes Me, Monty Python, Spamalot, Avenue Q, Legally Blonde, Young Frankenstein, Pal Joey, The Lion King, Promises, Promises, Sister Act, The Book of Mormon, Newsies, Wicked, Finding Neverland, School of Rock, Beautiful, The Carol King Musical, Bandstand, A Bronx Tale, Frozen, Beetlejuice, Ain't Too Proud, Moulin Rouge. Damn, that's amazing. Wow. That's incredible, man. That's incredible. Yeah, it's 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 been a lot. It's 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 in total. That's been a lot of hours of uh, preparation, and and it's sometimes uh, anxiety depending on the, how difficult or. Yeah, man. It's, I think you've had twenty two heart attacks in like twenty years, man. <laughs> At least a, a, a couple. A couple of those were 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 so pleasant that they don't count because they a couple of situations were were, were so welcoming and peaceful that I don't count them as a heart attack. They were 
more of a, it's, that's a rare thing. So you should always appreciate when, when, you, when you get to work in a situation that it's actually very welcoming and pleasant, low pressure. That's, that's a, that's a gift. That's, yes. not the, that's not the standard. So you worked on uh, that Radio City music hall production for years, you mm-hmm. know, workshopping it. Tell me if you've done workshops, readings that were about to lead to uh, your own show and uh, your experiences in those settings. Yeah, I, in this category, I, I would admit that I actually haven't had that many opportunities. I, I mean, I've, I've of course done readings and workshops, but nothing that was ever going to go anywhere, at least that it hadn't, nothing that I felt was. Um, <clears throat> did, you, did you feel that any of them were going to go somewhere? I, I don't understand the business enough from a production sense to know what actually is going to, to, to strike, to, to hit that magical thing where someone wants to say, yes, I want to, I want to produce this. Um, I, I have not done that many readings. I can't say it's been like constant part of my, uh, my career. I, I, I want to, I mean, that, that's, that's the one thing I've, I'm still grasping at is like, I, if, if I get really honest, like I, I don't want to spend the rest of my days only being a sub. I mean, I'm, I'm proud to sub. I'm, I'm glad I'm good at it, but at least I'm, I'm being mostly perceived as being good at it in, in other people's opinions. Um, but I don't want to just do that. Like my, my Avenue Q was wonderful. I'm so grateful that for what it was, but the, um, the career goal that I still want to attain is I want to develop a show and have it come to fruition. I mean, I, I mean everybody wants that, but I, I haven't had that experience yet. And I, I don't want to give up on that. I really want that experience of a, developing a show, having it come to life, having it come to Broadway and staying with it and being the drummer who gets to play it and open it and be on an original cast recording and uh, everything that comes with that. So has it hasn't happened yet. I'm holding out hope, but um, yeah. So I, 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 the workshops I've done haven't really been of note. I've done a couple in a case where I was probably just covering for a show that someone else had already workshopped once and then just wasn't available for that round of it. So I wasn't even like the first person in the door. That happens, and then that's 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 cool. You get to be part of it, but it's kind of more just like a, like, like a job you're doing that week or two. You're like you might not be the the drummer who's creatively involved, but you're good enough to be someone that they trust to play that version of the workshop. You know, you're, not, you're not necessarily there's nobody's entitled to anything, but you're you're not you wouldn't be entitled to that gig in its future life. That happens sometimes. Speaking of cast recordings, you're on a cast recording called Brooklyn Crush. Yes, that was, I'll tell you about that, that that's my, my friend Matt Hinckley, who's a, another one, we talk about multi-talented people, he's a keyboardist, guitarist, he plays the other stringed instruments, what have you, mandolin, banjo, and he, and he music directs, so Matt Hinckley, another talented friend of mine, <clears throat> he brought me into that, that was, that was an off-Broadway show years ago, um, had, had, a, had a little run that had a, an on-stage band, where the actors, the actors were the band in the show, the show was about a band. And then some years later, long after the show had gone, they decided to, they, they funded a recording. They, they, they wanted to make a cast recording of the show. Um, it didn't used to be called, when it was off Broadway, it was actually called, it was called Fucking Up Everything. And the title had, um, <laughs> really? it, it, it had characters instead of, instead of the F word at the top of the title. Um, so that was its original title, but they made this recording, I think possibly for the purpose of, making it available for licensing for smaller theaters and, and uh, like black box theaters and what have you. 
uh, whoever would license that production, that, that very specific kind of show. So it was more a matter of they made a complete cast recording after the fact and, and instead hired some, some of the actors played, they had it hired a professional band to fill it out. So I, I, just, I learned that show in a short amount of time, good enough to make that cast recording and we knocked it out of the day. So no, yeah, no, I, I, I wasn't involved with that show in its off-Broadway run. I just had the honor of recording it for its post-life cast recording that got released. Sounds great. Stuff you were playing on it. I'm like, wow, oh, man. Thank you. And a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of that's Matt Hinckley. That man can write some great drum parts. He, like, uh, I mean, a lot of that is on the page. He, he, um, not every orchestrator, not every arranger knows how to write a drum part. As you know, you've probably seen some, some real insanity thrown at you. Um, but Matt's one of those good guys who can write a drum part that, that's, that logically serves the song. So I, I was, I mean, a lot of it is me just like playing the style and bringing my personality, but a lot of what's played was on the page. And he, he's an excellent drum arranger. Speaking of drums and drummers, uh, Jeff Picaro, one of your favorite albums that you didn't play on was Toto, the seventh one. Oh, I, yes, yes. I have never heard that. Tell me more about that. Oh, that, well, about Jeff or that album? Both. Because, well, first of all, Jeff Picaro, I mean, it almost sounds cliche to say in this age because we will say it, but Jeff Picaro is my favorite drummer that's ever lived. It didn't start out that way. You know, maybe in high school, I probably like, had it earlier. I might have said, Buddy Rich would have, but like that was early on as I've musically matured and listened to the music that I've listened to. And um, Jeff Picaro's drumming has had the deepest emotional impact on my music listening. The the, the connection of his approach, the drum part to song is it's made a connection with my listening that no other musician has. So that, that, that's how important the catalog of, of, of the late, Jeff Picaro is to me. So for that, for that saving questionnaire on that website, they asked, yeah, what, what, what's your favorite album that you're not on? And, um, that, 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 and that's, uh, Toto's 1988 album. The seventh one has just such, such, uh, it's, it's not even a technical thing. It's more just like such amazing drum performances that are, that are recorded beautifully. It just, it just sound, the album just sounds great. Um, is there one specific song that if, if I were to go listen to to the album after this interview, which song would you say play first? Oh, I, you gotta play the first track. If, if you're Pamela, that's it's a it's a, it's, a, it's an up tempo shuffly feel. It, it's it's too fast to be a full on shuffle. It's just like it's it's a, it's a groove song that that's that swung. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But then stop loving you. These chains. Yeah. Seriously, that album will, will, will rip your head off. Yeah. Mm. I was I was somewhere the other day, and in the background, "Hold the Line" was on. Sure. And if you listen to that song, you'll hear just some great drumming that he does in there. And it's 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 subtle, but it's kind of explosive at the same time. And the stuff, yes, it's it's like the little things he does. It's like holy so, shit! So so confident. He's twenty two, twenty three when he played that. Wow. Um, and he he said in interviews that that song is directly. For him, inspired by, or he's a bar, or he even say he's stolen from um, uh, Sly and the Family Stone, Hot Fun in the Summertime. That, that's that feel. As far as, you know, the flip side of the question, as far as what drummers should never do, I always ask, what do you think a drummer should always do when they're playing in a pit of a Broadway show? Oh, when, when they're 
as a sub or the, or the regular? That's and that's that's a question that other people have asked me. Yeah, yeah. I would say as a sub because you know when you have your own show, you 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 have your own way of doing things. But if you're if you go into sub on a Broadway show, what should a drummer always be aware of, or what should they always do? Um, I think always be aware that there's this is kind of a broader answer. But there, there's no set way that the experience is going to go because, it, 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 because each show, particularly based on the music director and how that music director runs things, is a unique experience. So have the understanding that your experience from one show is not necessarily going to be the way things go at that show. So to establish a rapport with the music director is key to make sure and some are more open to talking than others, but make sure you have met this person and you have conversed at least briefly to the point where they, they, they know who you are before you go in and do it. And also of course, be receptive to their notes. Even if you think, even in the back of your mind, you think maybe their notes are, for whatever reason, not right, suspect, fishy, take the notes, don't argue with the notes, just, just, just like have a report with the conductor and be receptive to notes and, and watch, watch as much as you can, get your eyes off the book and uh, as much as you can watch a conductor instead of your music is a really key element to it. What do you think the most important thing any drummer should know about being a successful drummer on a Broadway show? There's about being successful on a show is that I think the one thing I'm learning is I'm learning as, as time as we're in this current era of, of the business as we are, is that there's, there's no, there's no rules anymore. There's no, step there's no order of events there's no stepping stone people come into playing broadway shows from all different directions all different ages it's there's no one path that's going to do it so with that in mind the key is to have a depth of experience in music now i earlier on i would encounter some drummers who kind of talked down on the idea of drummers and other musicians on broadway talked down the idea of being enthusiastic about shows like, Oh, you listen to shows. I only listen to serious music. Um, that that's, you don't have to take that. Like it's okay to like shows. It, I think having an understanding of, of shows and, and, and how the, how the art form works, how this machine works is actually very important. So it's okay to appreciate shows, but um, it's more a matter of not only to, to, to pair that with the depth of understanding of musical experience from the outside world, everything else, no matter, no matter what it is, whether it's if you have a lot of experience in gigging in bands, if you're hard rock or like if you're a mat, if you come from a place of metal or, or what have you, or if you've had a country career, if you're, or if you're very active on the jazz scene, and you, that's your passion. What, it doesn't matter what it is. Any, any, any of those categories, any depth of musical experience will enrich who you are and what you can bring to a gig that's right, right for you. So having a life outside of show music is, is key and having an understanding of music beyond shows is key, I think. And then that helps enrich what you could possibly bring to 
a show that's right for you to play and, and, and have the understanding that not every show is right for you. Even, even if you're someone like yourself, yes, I'm versed in a lot of styles. Am I right for every show? No, there's, there's some things I would tell you, don't call me for that. So, so you, you, you like, you, like what I'm going to challenge you on. That. Oh man. <laughs> what, I, a Hamilton. No, I, 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 I haven't played there, but I can't handle that. I would think. Tell so, me I, one show that you couldn't do. Oh man! All right, you're really putting me on the spot here. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I seriously doubt that you can't do anything. Okay. No, I, I, okay, I, I don't, I don't have an answer prepared for that, but I'm sure. Okay, <laughs> maybe. Okay, let's put it this way. Maybe there was something that was particularly very specific to um, ethnic music of any, any, any what, corner like, of the world. Uh, what's that? Uh, filler on the roof. No, that, that that that's American musical theater. I, I'm talking okay. maybe something more 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 contemporary. That's like I I, I honestly can't name you know, show that fits the description. But if, if there was something that required very specific knowledge of say like Greek or Turkish music or something something that okay. was like okay, I mean sure I could I could learn to copy it part, but do I have a musical background and something like that? No, you no. Know, so it, it's it's understanding your strength, but. Yeah, maybe that's a poor answer, but you can also <laughs> understand what understand what your strengths are musically. Know know what you can bring and be confident about the the, the the certain feels and styles that you know for a fact that that's something that you can bring. I came into music theater from the pop and rock world, right? And when I was at Tick Tick Boom in rehearsals, there was a lot of talk about Stephen Sondheim and Stephen Sondheim's voice was in the show. And I can't remember if, if it, this is exactly how it went down, but I always say this to people, you know, I was asking around, I think I asked Stephen Oremus, I was like, who the hell is Stephen Sondheim? They were like, shh, shh, shh. Like, don't, <laughs> don't say that out loud. So I didn't know very much about musical theater. I didn't, I didn't grow up on shows and, I don't. I didn't know who Stephen Sondheim was, but I do now. And one of my favorite shows since I've gone back and looked at some of his work was uh, Sweeney Todd. And I started getting into musicals and realized that I'm going in the opposite direction that a lot of people have gone in. A lot of people know all these shows, and then they come and they they learn about Jeff Picaro or Vinnie Caliuta or Tony Williams uh, through working with people in shows that have actually worked with those people. Uh, so I'm going back and learning more about musicals because sometimes I do workshops or other things that require knowledge of certain styles that I didn't grow up listening to. Right. And to know that history and where it comes from is, is it's adds to your musical palette. There's always room for that. Like people shouldn't feel excluded from doing something because they don't know something at the moment. There's, I, there's always room to quickly research and inform yourself. Like what, what, what else could you do? You can't say, Oh, I, I didn't know this to begin with. So I guess I'm, I'm ruled out. That's, you know, that's, that's the right way to do it. If there's not something, if there's something that you want to then go and fill yourself in on and research musically, that's, that's excellent. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with going about learning about any, any category of this art form in, in any order and in any direction. It's, it's all, it's all just enriching what, you know, that's, that's how I feel about it. Just a side question. Do you prefer the musicals from the golden age of musicals? I guess from the, what was that <coughs> book? <laughs> the, the, 
the 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 scene in Avenue Q where the guy was reading a book. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't even know if it's a real book. It's Broadway it's, musicals of the 1940s. Book, Broadway musicals of the 1940s. It's, 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 he's settling with his favorite book that he likes to spend time. <laughs> so, going back over, you know, musical musical theater history. I don't know if you're a big musical history theater buff. I'm I'm a nerd, yeah, to a certain extent, yeah. Do you prefer the musicals? It's like somebody saying, do you prefer rap music from like 1986 to 92 or rap music today? I'm like, no, give me the golden age of hip hop. Because I remember it. I was I was right. living and it was it's when, just When better. it began, yeah. <laughs> so do you prefer the music from musicals from that era? Or do you prefer, now we have <clears throat> In the Heights and Hamilton and Ain't Too Proud and no, Tina? My, and, my, my answer to this is, is distinctive because it, it, it speaks specifically to when I was a fan of like when I was in high school and, I, and, and, and when becoming a fan of musical theater was part of my life. It was the, the shows that were, that were part of it. And it's early on, it's, it's definitely the, the, the pop, the pop, they call, they call the pop British musicals of the late eighties into the nineties, that era, like both Miss Saigon and Lamez Rob were huge to me in terms of what I was into. And then, Going back, I didn't go back too far. I started getting into any musicals that were that were rock based. So then, like, I, I went and really got into the original version of Jesus Christ Superstar and thought, and that original album. And then I got then I got into Andrew Lloyd Webber. And so, yeah, my my, my favorite era of shows is definitely the <clears throat> where, where Broadway met pop and rock. And then and then the nineties, I, I I loved the Broadway version of the Who's Tommy, and then I loved Rent. So. 80s, 90s, and, and rock-based shows are definitely my favorite category. Your social media presence, I was looking around for you. I see it's just unsaving. Do you ha- not have a website? Oh, it's, it's funny you mention that. that. That has been a, uh, a priority of, of, of this summer. My uh, a very talented wife has uh, web design skills that I don't have. So I, I had a website for a few years, and then it, um, it, it became defunct. It, it was uh, gone for a while. So the, you can go check out the newly revived drummingjoe.com I don't involve my last name I don't, I don't want to make anybody have to spell that so it's <laughs> drummingjoe d-r-u-m-m-i-n-g-j-o-e.com I mean, that, 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 that is my now revived website that I've always had um, yeah great and, and I, I have a YouTube channel that has older clips I'll, I'll probably be adding to it in the near future it's just mostly older clips that I once upon a time made some material for speaking of YouTube I saw you on a uh i haven't seen the video but you were on a video with tommy igo yes that i i one that is definitely something i'm, I'm recognized for sometimes uh being a longtime student of tommy igo's i i was invited to be on his dvd which has proven to actually be a very successful top selling dvd i'm proud to say um it's, it's his this is his video called um great hands for a lifetime which essentially is based on a warm-up routine that he learned from his father called the lifetime warm-up. And it's also a complete hand technique video where he really, really breaks it down and gives people all the information and tools they know to have, as he says, great hands. So yeah, he, he assembled a small group of, of students of his who represented different levels of experience. And I, I was chosen to be an advanced student who is now a working professional. I was, I was 29 when we filmed it. So I was a young professional and uh, yeah, that was my place. Uh, but that was a lot of pressure because I had to actually like 
if anybody was going to have to play the fast stuff when, when, when everyone else drops out, it was like the pressure's kind of on me. So you, you could see me that they were really like muscling it out to keep up with him because when he would call, when he would play the, the, the most intense parts of the exercises that would have a fast tempos. <laughs> wow. Do you have, um, <clears throat> and it's right now, it's a very interesting time. And when this airs, there will be a forward movement in, in many different directions, but people have been doing things uh, in many different ways and in, 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 uh, for, in many different outlets. Do you have anything that you're working on professionally right now or uh, what kind of things you, have you been doing over the past? Um, nothing, of of, yeah, nothing of my own. I, I, admittedly, um, as far as the pandemic goes, there, there wasn't much for me to do musically. It's just, I, I, I was in that place. I, I have a family and my, my uh, responsibilities in the past year plus fell definitely much more in the uh, dad at home category. So I wasn't involved with anything that was going on in the virtual sense, but now that the world is hopefully opening up these things, I'm, I'm getting some things in the calendar in particular singers that I work with. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. A big part of my musical career has always been working with singers in, um, in especially in the cabaret and concert settings. So I do lots of, Cabarets and concerts. That's that's been a big part of what I do. So fortunately, a lot of those singers are are putting things on the calendar. So I, I have dates with um Telly Leon coming up. I have a dates with Christina Bianco. She's very talented. She has a lot of vocal impressions of, of famous voices. That's like it's her big skill. And um I started working with Natalie Joy Johnson, she's hilarious. So yeah, if, if the one thing that is starting to materialize is the uh dates with uh cabaret and concert world. Good. One last question for you. I don't think I asked this asked this to you yet. What's the most difficult show that you've ever played, and why? I, you know, I feel like there's a few, um, <clears throat> but a couple stand out, <clears throat> and, and for different reasons. But like, for uh, I'll give you two examples of, of difficult. One, one that's difficult, um, but I subbed Wicked. I mean, I'm current sub Wicked, and that. That was a very difficult show to sub, even though I, I knew it. I knew it inside out. I, 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 prepared, I prepared mercilessly like, with conducted video. Like that, that, if there was ever a show that I pounded out every last ounce of preparation for, it was Wicked. And still, playing that show for the first time, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack and die. It was, it, it's, just, it's just that scary in, in the moment where... It, it, it went fine, but like, I gotta see this show, man. I gotta, it, I gotta sit with Matt just to <clears> see what the hell this is all about. Everybody it says the same thing. Yeah, and it wasn't even like, like, oh, the music is so hard. No, because like I, like I said I knew the music. I could play it. It was under my hands. It was just being the difference of preparing while you're playing along with a recording that's you have the anchor of playing along with the performance that's already there versus when it's you, you're thrown in, you're driving, and it's. And that, as, as you've probably been told, that show has a, is, is very conducted. So it's, it's not all just like start to click and let's groove. Not at all. There's, there's moments of a groove and groove, and then it ends, and it's very conductor-based. So even though I knew it and it went fine, the experience of playing that really was a force of nature. But I'd say otherwise, the other ones when I get to that, the hardest show, I would have to say was something the Lion King Platonic. That, that was, because there's just such intense drumming that, 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 that's a that's a physical drumming workout um especially at what i i learned from tommy back, back then and um 
And there's there's some difficult personalities to navigate in that fit. And that, that that's one of those places where you uh, it's yeah it's it's not just about it's not just about the drum part. It's not just about um, following the conductor. There are personalities in that pit that have influence over the drummer's performance, and that that doesn't make it easier. Man, oh man. I think I'm going to stick with my show, man. I'm going to <laughs> <laughs> you should stick with every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. You, you have a you have a good thing going on. It's rough out there, man. Shit. I might be exaggerating. I don't know. This is just how I felt. That's how my, my takeaway. Of, um, I'm sure it was. No, you're not the only one who said that. You're not the only one who said that. Even Carter, when Carter McLean, when he went in, Tommy Igo's like, "You're not ready yet," and he had to go back and and prepare even more than what he yeah, had it's, already it's, done. It's, Tough for yeah yeah even if you're yeah tough for everybody even if you're a great player and you're capable it's just like that that show will make you work for it and uh, it's humbling yeah we could talk for hours which we we've already done and I yep. <laughs> I appreciate you taking time out and it's great to learn about you know your history and the. 75 shows that you've subbed on. And- <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want it to get to that number. I, I exactly. to, oh, okay, okay, so, so, then, oh, then, then I got to play a run of a show for 25 years. That would be. Exactly. Yeah, you got to get there, man. It's going to happen. And, you know, you're out of anyone who deserves their own show that lasts for 25 years, it's you. I, I appreciate that. That's kind of you to say. Thank you once again, Joe Horse- Horsefsky. I say Horsefsky. That, that's perfect. Nail it. <laughs> so don't screw up his name when you say this but look up drummingjoe.com mm-hmm. and instagram drumming joe nyc and twitter have i i'm on twitter but i really stopped using it i, I wasn't getting anything out of it so yeah, it's, yeah that's it's, drumming drumming joe nyc it's a cesspool out there man yeah uh, for uh, sure tiktok <laughs> Not yet. Maybe never. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> my kids are on that stuff. I can't. I can't. My, my son's making some funny stuff. Yeah. Reach out to Joe. He's he's a great resource. He he knows what he's doing. And uh, uh, thank you once again, Joe. And we will talk soon. I will see you in uh in the fall. Hopefully, we'll see how hopefully. things go. Hopefully. And uh, thank you once again. Thank you, Clayton. This is awesome. Thank you for listening to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. Head over to the Broadway Drumming 101 YouTube page where you'll find unedited conversations that I've had with some of your favorite musicians. On the YouTube page, you're going to find bonus content that I don't feature on my Instagram page or here on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and click on that little bell at the top so that you'll be notified when a new video is uploaded. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more. If you like what you hear on the show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.substack.com. That's substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. The Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. When you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll learn about what it takes to be a successful pit musician with content delivered directly to your email inbox two to three times a week. For $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll have a backstage pass to the world of a Broadway drummer playing on a hit show. As a paying subscriber, you'll receive behind-the-scenes access to the life of a musician who makes a living on Broadway. You'll also be able to read every post, not just those occasional free ones. You'll get access to all newsletter issues in the archives, 
and have an ability to participate in subscriber-only comments and events. If you become a founding member for a gift of only $75, you'll receive discounted private drum lessons, an opportunity to watch Clayton play in the pit of his show, and a 25% discount on future promotional products. If you'd like to make a direct contribution to the production of this show, you can reach us at Venmo at Clayton-Craddock, Cash App at Syncopated, that's C-I-N-C-O-P-A-T-E-D, or PayPal at Clayton Craddock. Any amount of support will be appreciated. Thank you for listening.